Hey, pretty people. So writing books is not the only thing that I do. On my website, I also have an eShop where I sell things like cute animal pillows, candy-themed AirPod cases, Pokemon building block sets, and more. And the shipping is free. Also, if you subscribe to my email list, you'll get a 10% off coupon for everything currently available. I occasionally do giveaways that are exclusive to subscribers, so don't miss out. Sign up today. The Demetrius Show podcast covers a variety of topics concerning mental health. This occasionally includes topics such as depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and thoughts some people may find distressing to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Each episode dealing with mental health is meant to be a general discussion and not meant to take the place of advice or treatment from any licensed medical professional. If you are needing mental health advice and or treatment, please speak with a mental health professional. In my first day, especially with the younger ones, their little eyes just went like bug-eyed. They're like, oh my God, it's a brown person. Teaching is not for everybody. I mentioned on a previous episode that I worked with kids and I would always get told I'd make a pretty good teacher. Even in college, my professors tried their hardest to get me to be a music teacher, but it just wasn't for me. I enjoyed working with youth. Don't get me wrong, but working in the school system comes with its own set of issues that I just wasn't trying to deal with. Plus, there's this growing sentiment in states like Florida, where LGBTQ people are being increasingly demonized in the public school systems. And I'm not going to lie, I can be pretty radical when it comes to stuff like that. So I definitely wouldn't last long as a teacher anyway. I do not like unnecessary rules and protocols. And Black history would be taught in my classroom. So it takes not only having a passion for youth, but also a passion for educating and having the patience to endure the unnecessary parts of education. And we're just talking about the United States. Imagine what you'd have to deal with thousands of miles away in a different country where the average person looked nothing like you, had probably never seen someone like you before in their entire life. And you essentially felt like an outsider. Imagine being an educator in an environment like that. My guest today is a Black woman who spent some time teaching in South Korea. And today we're about to hear some of her experiences. So, let's get started. Welcome to The Demetrius Show, where I learn how to walk through my shadows, picking the flowers I've grown through sheer resilience. And I may not know enough yet to start teaching, but I'm going to keep convincing you to keep pushing. I'm Demetrius, and this is my life after speaking. Now, as an American, we don't travel enough, and we need to. We need to get out of our bubble and experience other countries, cultures, and ways of living that are different from ours. We need it desperately. It's so easy for us not to leave the country, though. For one thing, people don't realize that the United States is pretty big, pretty massive. I live in Texas, and according to a website called Texas Proud, this state is approximately 8% larger than France. If, you know, you're measuring in miles instead of kilometers. Sorry, metric people. With France being the largest country in Europe, And Texas isn't even the largest state in the United States. Alaska 
is a little more than twice the size of Texas. If I were to leave my house and travel to El Paso, Texas, it would take me about 10 hours. So after 10 hours of driving, I'd still be in Texas. Do you see why I haven't escaped yet? I can't. I literally can't. If I try to leave, the state just gets bigger. And Texas knows when you want to leave. So because it's so easy to stay here, we can be pretty sheltered when it comes to experiencing other countries and cultures. My guest today is Nikki B. She spent some time teaching in South Korea and is an anime nerd just like me. So I wanted to pick her brain about her experience and what it was like as a black woman teaching in that country. So let's bring her on. Sure thing. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Nikki. And pretty much I'm an artist, content creator, motivational nerd, former educator in South Korea, as well as a podcast host myself. And if you're interested in checking me out after this interview, which I hope you are, <laughs> you can check out my two podcasts. One is the Melanin Muses podcast, and that's available now wherever you listen to your podcast. And we're also on YouTube. And essentially similar to the Dimitri show, we talk about relationships, life, mental health, from the perspective of your average Joes. And we like to talk about the topics like grief, depression, and even some of the more controversial ones that is, might be uncomfortable for the average person to talk to. But we want to have those healthy debates, you know, get those topics out there. And the other podcast is debuting in January called Anime Go. So as a nerd, I feel that animation is one of the most underrated pieces of medium because it's mostly attributed to children. But we are here to discuss the complexities behind animation, the life lessons, the character psychology, the story building, to go really deep in depth. So Melody Muses is already live, so you can check that out on YouTube and where you listen to your podcast. But we're doing the rebranding, coming out with all new content starting in January, and Anime Go will launch in January. You can check us out on Instagram as well if you want to follow for updates and news. So yeah. Perfect. So Anime Go. I'm so excited that you are an anime nerd, just like me. Um, (laughs) Earlier, I actually made a post about waking up at 3 a.m. to the Inuyasha ending theme song. You know which one I'm talking about, don't you? Yes, yes, that's the one. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is fantastic that you um, are also an anime nerd, just like me. That's I'm excited for the launch of Anime Go already. So that's really good. You mentioned motivational. What mm-hmm. do you listen to any TED Talks or anything? And if so, what's I your favorite do. one? Ooh, ooh. I do listen to TED Talks like here and there. Um, now that you asked me about which one specifically I like. Oh, there's this one woman. Ah, she was talking about the top five people you need in your group. There's like the cheerleader, the motivator, the I forget the names of them, but she discussed the five different types of people that you need in your immediate space because the top five people you surround yourself most with are is the sum of who you are. And so she's discussing about look at the people that you hang around with. Are they the people you want to become? And if not, you better do some changing up. So I really, really love that TED Talk. Um, I also love listening to personal development books. I'm currently reading one about writing your own story and comparing your life to your own book. Like you're the main character, you have the control of it. And what is your next chapter going to do? What's your next chapter going to be? How are you going to write that? And then like we mentioned earlier, it's like being an anime nerd, like I'm learning a lot of life lessons from animation as well. Even the quotes that are within there, I try to utilize that in my everyday as, as everyday life as well. 
because there's just so much that it can teach us. Like with Naruto, for those of you who don't know, he went from a boy who was an orphan and he was bullied all the time. He was a class clown. He was always getting in trouble because that was the only time people would notice him. And he kept saying, hey, I'm going to be Hokage, meaning I'm going to be the leader of this village. I'm going to be like the king of this village one day. I'm going to help you guys out. Even though you're tormenting me, I'm going to do it. People laughed at him. People say you're nothing. You're worth nothing. We hate you. And spoiler alert, skip past this section. But he accomplishes his dreams despite all the naysayers. He went through the hardships. He worked through all the near-death situations. He's like, I'm going to do this no matter what. Because if I don't believe in myself, who else will? So this is what I mean by motivational and motivational nerds specifically, is I love hearing these messages and seeing how we can apply that to our own lives, you know? Wonderful, wonderful. So I'm glad to hear all of that, especially about the anime stuff, because I often have the same thoughts about much of the anime that I digest. Um, I'm like sitting there watching, and I'm going, oh, some of this is kind of a little much, but but I'm so excited. That's really exciting that you're able to draw all of that from Naruto. So many people in, watch Naruto, they watch Inuyasha, they watch Dragon Ball, oh, My Hero Academia, so many others. And there is so much discussion and discourse that can happen from a single episode at times. So that's really exciting that you are able to pull from that. So what I wanted to get into with you today, Nikki, is you have experience with teaching. Yes. And what was it that made you want to pursue teaching? So it was actually a fluke. <laughs> to be quite honest to you, um, I actually hated school growing up <laughs> because I was always bullied uh, a lot. So I used to pretend to be sick so I didn't have to go to school. So I hated school. And it, it was just a really weird happening of... I first actually studied abroad in Korea in 2012, and I did that for four months. And my, fir my first experience wasn't that good. A lot of stuff happened. And after I left, I was like, you know, that's not fair. I want to redo, reset, reset, reset. So for six years, I'm like, okay, not a good time, not a good time, not a good time. I want to go back. But in my gut, it's like, yo, it's not enough. It's not the right time to go back to Korea. But then in 2017, the end of 2017, life hit the fan. So, you know, the universe is just like, if you're not going to make changes, we're going to force you to make changes, throw everything in your path. So that's, that's what right. happened. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to move. I'm going to make you. So like someone died. There was a toxic relationship. It was just everything. And I'm like, you know, if there's any time to leave, now would be the time to mm -hmm. leave. <laughs> but how can I do that? I, I, I feel like I should go back to Korea, but how? And then I stumbled upon the concept of teaching abroad, teaching English abroad. And I'm like, wait. I hate English. I actually failed English in school. So is this a good idea? Um, so I actually wound up applying for two different companies and I taught English online to students in China for a couple of months. And it was okay, but it, I'm like, this is like 4 a.m., 3 a.m. wake up calls just because of time difference. I'm like, oh, this is okay. This is kind of fun, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. This is totally different than teaching in the classroom. And luckily, the universe heard me and a high school senior, uh, she's one year older than me, a high school classmate of mine actually messaged me on Facebook. And she's like, hey, I've been seeing that you've been doing teaching. Um, our third grade teacher just got fired. Would you like to be a sub to the end of the year? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's three months left. It was probably like April this happened. So I was online teaching from, let's say, September 2017 to April 
2018 and then she called for the opportunity I was like uh I don't have a degree in education she's like yeah it's fine substitute teacher you don't need an educational degree I'm like huh okay why not let's try um interviewed got the job I uh not auditioned I interviewed on Thursday got the job and I had the shadow that Friday with wow. the current substitute teacher and then that Monday I was by myself Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. And I was teaching all the subjects, math, science, social studies, religion, uh, vocabulary, English skills, gym class, everything. I'm like, oh, dear Christ. Uh, <laughs> to, and so you're teaching these to, wow, that's that's a lot to teach to in one day. Yeah, I, I was teaching third graders. I had 30 kids. And I was like, at first I was going to decline the, the the prospect of interviewing, but I was like, wait, if I want to go to Korea and teach English, this is a perfect opportunity to see if I even like the classroom and if I even like children, like these little humans, how do I interact with you? You know, um, I'm the only child. So, well, the only child for most of my life. So I never really knew how to get along with younger kids. So like, let me try. One moment I was in that classroom by myself, some kids tested me. Oh, they do. Oh, don't worry. They'll find a way. Oh, yeah. And there was 30 of them, too. They all the first day I had to deal with bullying and note passing. Oh, that was wild. But I'm gonna tell you this much. Like, it helped pull even more of the empathy out of me. But it was also having me face my own trauma because I had so many traumatic experiences when I was a kid in school, like beat up all this other stuff. The universe was like, oh, you had school trauma. We're going to make you be a teacher so you can face all of that. Mm-hmm. so that's exactly what happened I taught for three months it was wild I had to deal with so much not only the kids because the school the t- the other teachers you could see that the light left their eyes mm-hmm. you know like they were just there for the paycheck and they would tell me hey did your friend hate you why did she help you get this job those kids are terrible and I looked at them I'm like why would you say that and you could see they would see they would say that around the kids and the kids emulate it because that's what they were told they are yes so that's what broke my heart the most i'm like listen kids i love you i'm here and i'm caring about you i'm doing my best for you because i see all of you have your potential and it was such a rewarding experience that i'm like you know what i think i can do this in korea i actually think this is a good spot and but at one point toward the end of my three months there I actually withdrew my application from the program that I applied to, to go and co- go to Korea. Really? Because, yeah, because um, my family didn't want to go. They're like, oh, you're not, you can't go. You won't follow through with it. Or no, you shouldn't go. That's stupid. The partner I was with at the time, he's like, you're selfish. You're not thinking of the relationship. How dare you do this? And they were all, I was getting fought tooth and nail by everyone around me saying that I was basically a bad person for wanting to do this. And I was so tired of, the pressure of being alone and isolated and being called selfish and a brat all the time for wanting to make this decision that I actually took out. I emailed them. I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'm sorry if this is trouble. I want to withdraw my application from the program. And it was after I, and then it was before I got accepted. I was like, you know what? Withdraw my application. And the moment I sent that email, I just felt hollow. I felt empty. I felt purposeless. And I remember sitting at my desk out at the school while the kids were at lunch and I was about to cry. I'm like, what do I do now? And I remember I messaged my father and I was like, hey dad, I just, I'm just kind of lost right now. This is what I did, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, listen, all you gotta do is try to put your application back in, 
And if you're meant to go, you'll get accepted. If you're not meant to go, you won't get accepted, but you never know until you try. I'm like, hmm. all right. So I uh, resubmitted. I was like, hey, so sorry. Please disregard my last email. Can you just keep my application in? And they said, yeah. And maybe in July, like late June, early July, I got the email while I was on the bus to my partner at the Times house. And they're like, congratulations, you've got accepted to the program. You are going to Korea in August and you will be in Ulsan. Congratulations. I'm like, yeah, I got in. But wait, where's Ulsan? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's so interesting how you mention how you kind of came into teaching as a fluke. But it mm-hmm. sounds to me like there, everything aligned in a way that was meant to align for you, for you to mm-hmm. find your way to those kids. And for you to, because sometimes things may not work out, but at the same time, there's still a reason for why they happen. And I think you were meant to first, I mean, to observe what you observed in that classroom, pretty much from that first day that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. You're by yourself. you got 30 kids. You're just totally immersed and seeing everything as a typical day, how it is. And what it is that they do, what they deal with, what they think about themselves. So you're getting that all at once. And yeah, that's overwhelming, of course. But I think when you reach that point where you decided, you know what, this isn't for me. I think even though you mentioned about the fluke earlier, I think that was when the universe said, hmm, you're not done yet. We got to keep seeing what you're going to do from here. And you getting that that acceptance and going oh okay well I guess I'm gonna go ahead on and pursue this then mm-hmm. was definitely intentional from the universe my perspective mm. so you the move to South Korea you mentioned that you had gone before you came back and you when did you end up going back again so the first time was in 2012, and then the second time was in 2018, August. And I actually just got back to the States this past February. Wow. Okay. Yeah, very recent. <laughs> yeah, very recent. Okay. So describe to me, when you first got off, did you go by, you went by plane. When you first got off the plane, what was that like for you? Like, well, how did you feel? What was it, what were you experiencing at the time? Mm, the first time when I studied abroad or the first, well, the second time when I uh, went for teaching, which would you prefer? Uh, let's start with teaching. I want to see if we can com- compare both experiences for you. Um, so for the second time I was going, it still felt like a dream. Like it didn't really sink in. And so a little while after I landed, cause it's like, yo, I've been here before, but oh my gosh, I'm back. What? And this time I, there was people there that I could meet up with or cause no, wait, actually, oh gosh, it so feels like so long ago. I got there a week earlier than the program this time. Mm. Yeah. I got there a week earlier than the program just so I can explore soul with another one of the girls who was within a program that was accepted. So it was, it was wild. And also it was a hassle because one of the wheels of my suitcases broke. So I had to keep, it was like my bigger suitcase. So I had to keep lugging that stuff everywhere up and down the stairs. Like Korea has a lot of stairs. So if you want to work out, go to Korea. There's so many stairs Oh my goodness. and everything is like up uphill. Cause it's like very mountainous, you know? Um, <laughs> and it was funny because the girl I was with, we couldn't find our hotel 
for like the longest. <laughs> so we wound up asking this random ajuma, this older woman walking the streets and spoke a little bit Korean. So I was like, uh, where is this place? Whatever. Tell me how this one grabbed my bag and started going up the hill. I'm like, oh, wait, oh my God. And she helped us find it. It was great. <laughs> People, it it was so wild being back and surrounded by Hangul, being surrounded by the the language here and the language again. I was like, oh, this is nice. It's so busy, so colorful. And then you also get stared at a lot. So that took some getting used to again. But yes, it was wonderful. I was like, oh, yeah, this is beautiful. I like this. So you mentioned how it was so mountainous and you do a lot of walking upstairs. What are some other things about the experience in South Korea that most people don't know about or wouldn't think about? Well, that people will probably, especially if you're a person of color, you will get touched. (laughs) Mm. Um, Like people will touch your hair. Especially if you have a fro or braids, they will touch you. Obviously, this is generally speaking, not everyone, but people will. um, Or touch your skin because they're amazed by it. People will stare. Undoubtedly, you'll get a lot of stares. Like, you can look back in their eyes and they're just like, I'm not looking away. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, it's wild. And then you might get uh, the brave ones who will come up and ask stereotype questions, which is always pretty funny. And... Some places actually don't allow foreigners in it. They're like, oh if you're a foreigner, you're not allowed. There's some signs up as well that, oh, no foreigners allowed. What were some of the questions that you would get asked? Uh, Africa? Question mark? <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I am brown. I'm some people, they can't guess what I am, quote unquote. But over in Korea, it was interesting because that was like my first time actually feeling black because it was so predominantly asked of me. It's like, oh, Africa? Are you from Africa? Even my students, when I did my introduction PowerPoint, I put down, where do you think I'm from? America, Africa, China, and I think Australia was. And pretty much 99% of the class would raise their hand when I put down Africa. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's because it's such a homogeneous country. The information that they get, it's pretty, it's just from the media, you know? And some, it's like kind of here in America, it's hidden in plain sight. So if you don't actively look for the proper information, you just accept what's fed to you by, this, by right. social media or just media in general. So it's the same thing over there, especially being a homogeneous country, their concept of Black equates to Africa. And obviously that's generally speaking. So when I would run into people, they were like, oh, are you black or are you from Africa? I'm like, no, I'm an American. They're like, ah, so like, do you like rap? I'm like, "Um, sometimes, sometimes I also like Disney music. It's great. Um, And musicals, they're wonderful too. And like, oh, well, you like fried chicken? And in America, if you get asked about fried chicken, that's a very (laughs) kind of racially stereotyped, but not gonna lie. Koreans eat a lot of fried chicken and their fried chicken is actually super, super good. Like I'm like, yes, heck yes, I like fried chicken. I can't even deny that. But you you would get certain questions. Uh, people also don't really know a lot about racism over there. Mm. Um, someone had actually asked me to like, oh, is racism still a thing in America? And I know you want to just yeah. sit them down. Well, you know what, honey? Let me just tell you. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I did. And... I also get I also got a lot of inappropriate questions when it comes to the dating scene. Uh, <laughs> not sure how in depth that's gonna go, but 
um, just overall, if you're looking to date in Korea, as especially a woman of color, be very, very, very careful and be ready for lots of stupid questions. <laughs> stupid questions in America, stupid questions over there. Like you can't escape it. No, you can't. And I think that's what really teaches you to, despite the nonsense, like I'm not trying to like bad mouth Korea. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It's just they're not well informed or a lot of people just wish to if it doesn't have anything to do with them specifically, it's like, that's not my business. I'm just going to stay out of it, stay in my own little clique and focus on what I got to do, you know? Um, so it's not because we have that here in America too. So it's just to say, this is what happens. This is from my experience. Everyone has their own experiences. That's my disclaimer. Were you the, were there any other black women teachers with you or were you just the only one? So as a whole, with the program I went through, like orientation and stuff, there was people of all different colors from all different countries uh, working there, or at least doing the orientation and going or being sent out. Essentially, it was like a roulette. <laughs> you don't know where you're going until after orientation. You just know the city, but you don't know you don't know the town. You don't know the school until you're done. And it's like, <laughs> bye, good luck. <laughs> but when it comes to other Black teachers, in my particular city, there were some, but I was pretty much alone. I went to a very country-like city, Busan. So there's like Busan and there's Daegu. And many people know about them, like Seoul, Busan, Daegu, like the top ones. And then Ulsan is another city, but it's smaller. And then I was in Hoge. Hoge was more of a countryside. Like if you go one direction, you end up seeing like a whole freaking field of like corn and open space and people tending to their crops. And then on the other hand was like a little mini city, like they had their downtown. So there weren't a lot of brown people, unless you were thinking of like people from Sri Lanka or Pakistan or the factory workers. There were a lot of those, but black Americans were kind of rare. So when you see us in the street, we're like, I see you. Hi, sis. Hi. Good. Well, I'm glad it was like that. Sometimes. Some people just that. ignored. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know this person. I was wondering. I was like, hmm, I wonder what that's... When you do see someone, you're like, hey, you know, you know how we do when we see each other, like in a hallway or something, we do the head nod. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I see mm -hmm. you. <laughs> I wondered if Sometimes. it was the same thing. Okay. Okay. Very good. So your teaching experience in South Korea, what was mm -hmm. your first day like? Oh, my first actual day teaching, that was hilarious because in the school that I was in mind you it was five floors so five different levels there was a boatload of kids and I taught grades three four five and six which equated to 700 children a week so a lot of kids um in my first day especially with the younger ones their little eyes just went like bug-eyed they're like oh my god it's a brown person <laughs> <laughs> I forget if I had my hair straight or natural that day, but it freaked them out. It was hilarious. But because they're so used to seeing straight hair that when I actually came in for the first time with my hair in my natural fro, they're like, teacher, perm? Teacher, what happened? Right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> because when they perm their hair, it gets curly. So they didn't know, like, our hair is natural. You just add water or chia pets and it goes poof. Um, <laughs> <laughs> literally. But the first day, it was just so, it was very scary because I'm like, yeah, I did the teaching back in the States a little bit, but this is my first time actually feeling like I was a teacher teacher. Like before it was almost like a babysitter. Like now I had a professional co-teacher with me. I admit, I feel like I was very arrogant back in the day. 
because you come straight out of orientation like yeah i know what i'm doing i got this and then you're like nope i don't got any of this oh yeah it, it was it's difficult because i didn't speak fluent korean so trying to connect and communicate with the kids got frustrating sometimes especially when they were misbehaving and when you try to speak to them in korean they just kind of laugh at you especially because in the city that i was in each different city has their own dialect um not many people are aware of that like busan has a dialect seoul has a dialect ulsan they each have their own dialect seoul from what i was told by some of my native friends has the softest the nicest dialect so it's kind of like the joking dialect and that's the one that you learn when you're first learning the language so when i was trying to communicate with the seoul dialect that i was taught they would kind of laugh like oh hajima and like stop it and they would start hajima and they start making fun of me i'm like we gonna fight child you know i don't speak <laughs> korean like that <laughs> oh. so it was it was terrifying because it's literally you're, you're literally the the one different person in the, in the room you're like the only person of color. You're the only kind of, there's not, there was a lot of women teachers, but it was just so weird being like the spotlight on you. And you're being looked up to as the, like the token brown person, the token American and the token native English teacher. Mm -hmm. I was the only foreigner in the entire building. So there's a lot of unnecessary pressure to be that proper representative of not only my blackness, but also as an American and being a professional English speaker, I'm like, oh, Christ, let's see. Uh, yeah, textbook. Like, teacher, why do they call it textbook? Oh, crap. Google. <laughs> <laughs> so as a Black person, but specifically as a Black woman, when mm. you, you're in this environment, you're overseas, you're teaching English, you're having to speak a language you haven't had to always speak before on a regular mm -hmm. basis, and you mentioned before how there it was rare to see someone else who was just like you. So on a day-to-day -day basis, what were some things that you had to do to really take care of your mental health and your emotional well-being? Ooh, that's a really good question. That was actually incredibly difficult to do because at the time I wasn't diagnosed yet with the severe depression that I actually had. So I did find myself struggling a lot to navigate while I was over there because I was isolated a lot. I didn't, there weren't really many, I didn't have a lot of friends and it was very difficult for me to connect with locals because drinking is a very big part of the Korean culture. That's how people socialize. I don't drink, nor do I smoke. So you don't find me in bars like a lot of the people my age were. So especially in the smaller town areas as well, it was very difficult. So I wound up being in isolation a lot. I got back into my art. I was drawing a lot. I was immersing myself in anime again. For years, I had stopped because of past things that happened. So I got back into anime. I actually binged Naruto to help the cope with the depression. Mm -hmm. <laughs> From episode one all the way to the end. That's a lot of episodes, but I did. Um uh, I explored different crafting ideas. I tried to immerse myself in the teaching capacity, but specifically towards being a person of color, the way I tried to kind of mitigate that, that otherness was to learn as much Korean as I could. So hopefully I can allow people to be less scared of me. 
because uh, there was a case where I was like, oh, uh, 저기, 질문이 있어요. Like, speaking in Korean, like, excuse me, I have a question. They're like, oh, no English. And they, like, ran away. So it's learning how to, how do I make my body language more open and friendly? How do I speak in a way to make me more approachable? Even when it comes to my hair, like, sometimes I felt it was better to have it straightened because I wouldn't as, I am other but it wouldn't be as other as if I rocked my natural fro or my braids. So kind of like cold code switching and adjusting. I had to speak a certain way. I can't go like I'm from Philly for Philadelphia PA. So sometimes my Philly accent can come out when I'm really relaxed around friends. So I can't go up to someone like, yo, what's up? Excuse me. Yo, excuse me. What's going on? I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I have to articulate my words and also learn how to speak more simply. So that way people can understand because some people can speak for like two hours with you and say, oh, my English is terrible. I'm like, yeah, we just spoke for two hours. What do you mean your English is terrible? <laughs> so <laughs> you have to really learn how to slow your pace, be empathetic and learn how to be understanding in a way that some things may hurt. But you also have to recognize that this is their home country and they're not used to you, especially the older generation. Like you're probably the first foreigner they've ever seen. So be understanding about the stairs, being understanding about hearing people talk about you. You know, it doesn't make it right, but try to open your mind up ahead of time to recognize that, yes, people are going to say something. People are going to stare. You are going to be judged, (laughs) but it's not necessarily from a place of hate or like, Angry ignorance is more kind of like a curiosity ignorance, if that makes any sense. That makes sense. And I'm glad that it was, I'm glad that it was mostly from a curiosity standpoint um, regarding the questioning and the, um, the touching (laughs) um, Mm. for that. I'm glad it was more so that for you. And I'm glad also, it sounds like you were still able to maintain your sense of self, even though Mm. some days it was. I'm sure very difficult. You and I have in common, I have severe depression as well, that um, we go to anime and we binge. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> my thing is bleach. I'll start from episode one <gasps> and I go yes. all the way through Hueco Mundos when it gets real serious. I'm like, okay, I'm like going to be <laughs> turning the lights off, not going anywhere this week because we're at the Hueco Mundo arc and I got to get to the part where he fights uh, Aizen and all that stuff. So I'm glad that there are those shared experiences that you can provide to someone who wants to step into this role. And they're wondering like, gosh, am I going to go there and just feel like I'm not me anymore? If I'm in this environment where there's no one else that's really like me and I'm having to Mm -hmm. adjust certain things, which you'd have to do. People come here and they have to adjust. Right. So Mm -hmm. you go there, you have, there are certain things that you do to kind of acclimate and uh, of course, being American, we're just not anywhere near conditioned for any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we go places and we are like, no, we are the main character. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> I know this is your country <laughs> and you've had it forever, but uh, too bad. I'm American today and you're going to be American today too. So mm. that sort of thing, that is really, that's really, I'm glad to hear that ultimately for that experience for you that it wasn't that you went there and you completely lost all sense of yourself and Mm-mm. you ended up just being completely lost. Now, of course, as is the case for so many Black individuals, mm. 
there is certainly going to be a time where you are sitting and you're just like, I feel like I'm the only person on earth right now. Mm-hmm. And I know you had those moments, but yes, hearing you and knowing that, well, you know, there were days where you had to adjust. There were days where the kids were just like, what are you talking about? What are mm-hmm. you actually talking about? But I hope that the experience is ultimately rewarding. And if you have like a rewarding, I yeah, I'm going to ask, what was the most rewarding part of the experience? The most rewarding. Oh, actually, like kind of cycling back real quick when you're saying like the the advice, if you want to be a teacher in Korea specifically, not just like go there, ensure that you're, you do your homework because that's something I honestly didn't do. Do your <laughs> pun, do your homework for school. Um, <laughs> I was like, hey, I made it funny. Um, do your homework in a sense of learn Hangul, learn a language as much as you can before you go. Even if it's just the foundations, learn to read the letters and learn the basic foundations of conversation. It will help you a lot to understand where you want to teach private school versus public school. There's a very big difference between the two. I would advise going through a program like Epic but other people go through recruiters. You just have to be very cautious with recruiters because you never know what you're going to get. Research, 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 and understand there is a hierarchy and you have to respect that. Uh, When it comes to Korea, they're all about the hierarchy, even more so than America. If someone's older than you, you automatically have to speak to them differently. You have to respect them differently. Don't really question them. And you kind of pretty much be submissive and talk in circles. You can't be direct. You cannot be super direct. So research the culture and navigate that. And if that's not for you, then you might want to rethink actually living there and teaching there. And hair products, black, you black, other black people bring hair products. Because <laughs> there's none <laughs> Oh, that's a good there. one. Oh, yes. Yes. Because if you try to order online, like a one thing shampoo bottle, be like $20 because you got to import it. Oh Pack my gosh. that in, in your luggage and bring as much as you can and have friends send you care packages because that's going to get expensive because they don't got us stuff. But you can find people to braid your hair, though. Then you just ask around and connect with people. Also, connect with people ahead of time, like Facebook groups, whatever. Make friends before you get over there so you have someone to connect with and you won't be totally alone. But you oh my gosh, discretion. Be safe. Good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm thinking because cur- kinky curly is my thing and it's expensive at Target. So I can only imagine. <laughs> how expensive it is to import it there i would probably just be a protective style forever and a day um so Mm -hmm. that's really good to know um especially for going there for the first time and everything okay okay sorry yes the uh the most memorable moment you mentioned sorry i was like let me get this out there y'all gotta know your hair protect your hair girl um (laughs) for the the most memorable moment memorable experience i've had many but The biggest one that stuck out for me was one of my students. I had him since third grade. And then I got to see him basically until fifth grade. Yes. From third to fifth grade. I had some of my kids from third to sixth grade and I cried because they were graduating the middle school. Um, That's like my babies. I'm like a mother with 700 children. I didn't give birth to you. (laughs) But specifically, it was within my first year there. And... Uh, I think it was like, I don't know, my second month, my second semester there, because he was just in the beginning of the end of the first semester. And there's this one little boy, I think he had ADHD or something rather, where he could never stay in his seat, always bouncing around, always excited, always crying out about something. And we weren't taught how to deal with students 
who, how to help students, excuse me, not deal, correction, how to help students who have special needs. When I tried to connect with my other co-teacher, I was like, how can I properly help him? And she's like, just ignore him. Just ignore him. He doesn't exist. Like he's just doing his own thing. None of the teachers bother with him. And that rubbed me the wrong way. But that's their perspective of how to teach students who have mental health issues. It's just ignore them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not okay. Um, you can do that, but I will not. And I remember toward the end of the of the first part of the semester, he didn't know how to write his ABCs. They learned that in third grade. He couldn't write it. But if he could like spell, try to spell certain words, it, he would write it very slowly because he didn't get a full grasp of writing in English quite yet Um, because no one would sit with him. So I remember during the end of when we were having our final exams and we would put the question on the board and give them a few seconds to write the answer. And he was struggling. So what I would do is when we gave him the timer, I would run over to him and I would crouch over and be like, hey, so what's the answer? He would tell me. So that told me he recognized what the English word meant. So he would translate it, but he didn't know how to write it fast enough or write it in general. So I would take the white art, the, the marker. We had a, the whiteboard desks. So I'll take the marker, dry erase marker, and I'd write the answer on his desk after he told me. So it would give him extra time to write it and copy into his notebook. And I kept Ooh. doing that back and forth for at least eight questions. And my co-teacher, she was getting annoyed with me. I could see it in her face that I kept running back and forth. I'm like, go ahead, be annoyed. You, you see this kid's trying. He wants to try. Mm-hmm. You just want to ignore him just so that hurry up and get this done. No, I'm not doing that. Like, no. <laughs> so after about like the fourth time of running back and forth, I remember I crouched over, whatever, asked him the question, I wrote it down. And he looked at me and he looked up right into my eyes. He's like, thank you, teacher. And I darn near cried. Um, oh my I cheered goodness. up a little bit. Wow. And he doesn't even really speak English, but he knew enough English to say thank you, teacher, for like t- basically taking the time to actually care about him. And that was one of the most memorable moments that uh, that started my teaching there. And the one that ended it was of a similar situation. It was still that boy, but it was a second boy in his class who was mute, essentially. He did not speak. And if I went to his desk, he would pull back from me. And like, he was afraid. So I would just lean on the the edge of the desk. And I was like, hey, do you want to play a game? Like play a game? Okay, which one? And they're like, teacher, teacher. No, he doesn't talk. No, just skip him. Go to the next one. He doesn't talk. Other students would do the same thing. Oh, he doesn't talk. I'm like, it's okay. I would point to the screen. And I was like, oh, one, two, three, or four. And show him my fingers. And he would hold up his finger with one, two, three, or four. And then I'll count over whatever till he picks the, the thing that he wants. And so I would get him to pick using his sign language. And I always thought he was afraid of me. But then the last day of school, the boy I talked about earlier wound up bringing him and they came to find me in the teacher's room. And I'm like, wait, you're looking for me? What, what, what's up? The boy who I thought was afraid of me actually had someone help him write, thank you, teacher, in English. And he brought me some candy and a paper doll that he made to say thank you before he left and graduated school. So those were the most memorable moments for me, a bunch of others. But those two specifically just reminded me that connection transcends language. Absolutely. As long as you put in the effort, as long as you care, as long as you show empathy, you can connect with anyone as long as you take the time. Thank you for listening to The Demetrius Show. 
Reviews of this show help expand my audience size and reach new listeners. So be sure to rate it on your preferred listening platform so more people can know about it. Also, if you really love this show, be sure to subscribe to my email list so you can be the first to get news and updates about the podcast and more. And as always, be kind to yourself, be safe, and until next time.